we just thank you for this day, this hour, this place. In Jesus' name, this is your house. Holy Spirit, this is your house. You come in. You show off. We are your children. We, we have surrendered our lives to you. And we thank you, Father God, that you are more than enough to take care of every need that we have. And we trust in you. And we hope in you. And we put our hope securely in you. In Jesus' mighty name. And we cancel every assignment of the enemy is canceled in Jesus' name. And you have to go. You let loose of the people that you're trying to mess with now in Jesus' name. I plead the blood of Jesus over each and every one of them. Their mind, heart, soul, and spirit. I pray that love will prevail. Love will win in their hearts. And their destinies will be secure in your hands. In Jesus' mighty name. I thank you, Lord. Your will will be done. As it is in heaven, it will be done on earth. In Jesus' mighty name. We thank you, Father God, that you send the hordes of heaven, the hordes of warring angels to us now to war on our behalf. I pray it be like Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego walking in the fiery furnace, having a party with Jesus Christ himself. They, We would not even know or feel that we've been under attack, that we've been in the fire, God. We would be so enjoying life. We wouldn't notice what the enemy's doing in Jesus' mighty name. God, I pray that you would release joy on all of us. Supernatural joy. Supernatural joy in Jesus' mighty name. In Jesus' name, let us be secure in your truth. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' mighty name. Father God, we give our hearts to you and at this time to you, we pray that you would reveal yourself to us. Open up our hearts and give us understanding and revelation. Bless this word, Lord. Speak through me to your beloved. Help them to know you better. In Jesus' mighty name we pray. Amen. Well, it's a funny thing that Steve talked about warring. Because I want to talk about the war of two realities. Last week we we talked about, I started a new series about heaven. And the invasion of heaven into earth. In Colossians 3, 2, it says, Think about the things of heaven, not the things of the earth. That's, that's Bible for you. So what does the devil do when you're... What, what does he do when the Word of God says for us to think on heaven? What does he do? He tries to get our mind off heaven. He does anything. He throws anything at us he can to get our minds off heaven. Because the thing that you think about is the thing that you walk out in your life. The thing that you live. So when you're thinking about the reality of heaven and heaven's reality when you're thinking on that and focusing on that's going to transform you heaven will invade you as heaven is invading our hearts and minds we are transformed and in Matthew 6:10 it says the lord's prayer was thy will be done father on earth as it is in heaven so that's that's an invasion prayer that's what that is let the will and the government of God come to this planet and invade this earth. Now how does he do that? Through us. We are his invasion force. And as we partner with him and we think on the things of heaven, we invade this earth. He invades this earth through us. And everywhere we go, we carry heaven in our hearts. We could be surrounded by hell, but we got heaven in our hearts. So I want to talk about hell's reality versus heaven's reality. And what the Lord gave me was 1 Kings 21. Uh, there was a man named Naboth. And he had a vineyard. 
and his vineyard was really close to King Ahab's palace. So Ahab went to Naboth and he said, your vineyard's so close to my palace, I would like to have it. <laughs> he says, I will give you one of my vineyards or I can pay you money. And, but no, you have to understand, Naboth inherited that vineyard from his ancestors. It had been handed down from generation to generation and generation. In Jewish society, that ancestral connection through land and property was huge. And to give it up would be a disgrace. It would be a disgrace to everyone that had come before him. And you know, my mom died when I was 16. And immediately when she died, everything she had touched became sacred to me. Everything that she owned. I have, I have pieces of paper, almost 40 years old, that she wrote notes on. It wasn't fancy, it was the grocery list. But I knew her hand had touched that right before she died. There were pennies that she had. I taped those pennies as a girl to the piece of paper. I cherished those pennies. I cherished everything that was hers, and she didn't have a lot in the world. But her hankies, I cherished. Her pictures, I cherished. Everything is sacred, and you can't offer me a million dollars for even one of those pennies because they were hers, and she touched them. And you know, when she, when she was alive, she had a beautiful pearl ring, and she didn't have much jewelry at all. But she had this pearl ring, and she said, when I die, you can have this ring. But when she died, my dad gave that ring to my brother because he wanted it to give to his girlfriend. It was like, oh my goodness, you're, you're, you're kidding. No, because see, he wanted it to give it to his girlfriend. Well, later on, they broke up and bye-bye ring, bye-bye girlfriend, bye-bye. That, that, that ring was just worthless to anybody else but me because it was hers. Do you understand? So Naboth is standing before the king of the land. And he said, I can't sell you this vineyard. This was my daddy's and my granddaddy's. And how many generations back, he was the caretaker for his ancestral uh, vineyard. He wasn't going to give that to the king. So Ahab went home and he pouted. He went home and he pouted. Jezebel, his wife, the queen, came in and she saw him pouting. She says, what's the matter with you? He says, well, I wanted Naboth's vineyard, but he won't give it to me. Sounds just so regal. He says this to Jezebel, and Jezebel says, well, what are you doing? You're the, aren't you the king? I'll get you your vineyard. So you know what she did? She took the king's seal and she wrote letters to all of the elders and leaders and nobles in the village that Naboth lived in. And she, she said on there, proclaim a day of fasting, seat Naboth in a prominent place among the people, but seat two scoundrels opposite him and have them bring charges that he has cursed both God and king, then take him out and stone him to death. And she sealed it with Ahab, the king's seal. She sent it to the, no to the nobles. Now, I just have a question. If they were so noble, why did they do what she said? I don't see much nobility there, do you? They held a feast. They, they, they brought in, you know, the, uh, they proclaimed a day of fasting. So they're bringing in religion. 
And in this religion, they're, they're inhabiting the, accusing, the, the, the accusations using religion to cause someone's death so they can rob from him his destiny. So Naboth thinks he's coming in to a, a religious time. He's probably thinking, yeah, I want to be a part of this. Yeah, go God. They put him at the, at the prominent place. Little did they know, there were stinkers in there, and they accused him falsely. And before he knew what was going on, he was taken out and stoned to death. And so then Jezebel, she gets letters from the elder. They write back saying, he's dead, sweetheart. He goes into Ahab and he says, a Naboth is dead, go get your vineyard. Now that is earth's reality versus heaven's reality. He, he, he got his vineyard. But the Lord sent a prophet to him to tell him, you're going to lose your whole kingdom because you took that man's vineyard. And you, you had no integrity and you were a scoundrel. So he got the vineyard and lost everything. Because God was watching. And God knew Nabus was a noble man and he was not going to let them get away with that. And we've got that going on in our land right now. In our nation, all over the world. People thinking, God doesn't see me. I'm a big deal and I can get away with murder if I want to. So hell accuses us. Hell, their reality is subterfuge, lies, accusation, and condemnation. Okay, now I'm going to tell you about the reality of heaven. Because the Lord says, think on heaven. So let's think on it. I'm going to tell you, I had a vision that was just so unlike any vision I'd ever had before because it was, it, was, it was one of those things where I just felt the Holy Spirit calling me to pray and I went in, I laid on my bed and I started praying and just suddenly I was in this whole other reality and it, was, it, it felt so good <laughs> and I knew I was with Jesus in heaven and he said I, I want to show you some things and it wasn't like any big spiritual, I didn't see like winged beasts with eyes all over their faces <laughs> like that I saw normal things, but I saw them according to heaven's reality. The way earth should be before the fall. And the first thing he showed me was trees. And you know, everything's alive in heaven. The grass is alive. Of course, grass is alive down here too. But it's like, this is alive with like energy, like a life, a life force in the grass. It's like everything is just saturated with the glory of God. So of course it's alive. So these, he showed me, he took me into this almost like a, a tunnel or like a cathedral that was made out of trees. And the, there were two long rows of trees all the way down. And the trees joined up like this. And it made the most beautiful arch and cathedral. And we, were just, we just stepped into this cathedral. He said, isn't this beautiful? And we were just looking at it, you know, marveling at it. Because trees don't grow like that down here. There's nothing, they don't make, you know, we got to cut them up and nail them, put some caulk in there. That's how we make cathedrals. But in heaven, he just lets the trees make the cathedrals. Then he took me over to this small pond or brook, and there was a goldfish in there about this size. And I, I bent down, and the goldfish came up to the edge of the pool like it was saying hi. It didn't really say hi to me, but... I bet it wanted to. <laughs> it came up to the side of this pool, and I was like, well, can I, can I hold it? So I bent down into the pool of water, and I held this fish 
like I was petting a cat. Isn't that weird? Fish don't do that here. They run away scared. So this fish wasn't afraid of man. It had no fear. And it was allowing me to treat it like I would a pet cat. Isn't that amazing? That's what our reality should be on earth. Nothing should be afraid of us. And later on, he took me in this car. I would call it like a Model A. And it was really beautiful. It was a convertible. And it had like wood on wood interior with uh, black velvet seats. And we got into that car and it literally started to fly. So he says, I want you to look in the back seat. So I look in the back seat. There's this tiny little black and white kitten in the back seat. And I was like, oh my goodness. This is, I love cats. I love all animals. I picked it up and I started uh, snuggling it and holding it. It was so sweet and so cute. And I said, he said, his name is Spot. Because <laughs> he had spots. And I said, well, can I have it? And he said, you can hold it. <laughs> I can't have it, but I can hold it. Because he liked it. He liked this little kitten. Jesus, the Messiah, had a kitten in his backseat. Now that will blow your religious mind. I mean, you're, it's going <laughs> to... And then in another part of the backseat, he showed me a pile of pearls that were like this big around. And he said, now that you can have. He said, go ahead, take handfuls of those pearls. Take all you want. Take, take those pearls. You can have those pearls. So do you see, the kitten was too valuable to part with. But the pearls that we think are so valuable, I mean, these were huge pearls, that we think these pearls are so valuable. Naturally, on earth, you would take the pearls over the kittens any day. But in heaven... He wanted that kitten more than he wanted the pearls. He said, Victoria, take all the pearls you want, but I want the cat. Sorry. That's what he takes. That is, the whole value system of heaven is so different. They pave their streets with gold. We wear it. We adorn ourselves with gold. But he just pays the street. The entire value system of heaven is so contrary to what we know. So people are more valuable than... Animals are more valuable than pearls. People are priceless. People are priceless in heaven. As we were, as we were flying around in his little Model A or whatever it was, I could see people down below. And there was this couple there. And they saw me in the car and I waved down at them and they said Victoria! Victoria! Just like I was Elvis! Like I was a celebrity! It's that kind of celebrating! That kind of celebrating! Victoria! Victoria! I knew that if I was on the ground they'd probably mob me. It's that kind of acceptance and love and they don't just tolerate you. They celebrate you. And when they get to see you in heaven, they're like, oh, look who's here. You know, like when you'd go to your grandma's house and she'd be like, sit down here in this chair and talk to me. Here's some cookies. Here's this to drink. And just sitting with her so she could just look at you and ask you how you were doing. That's heaven on earth. And that's the way, that's what we have expecting us. That's what we've got waiting for us. This whole new reality on earth. We kill people for vineyards. But in heaven, we celebrate people. We love.
nothing. That's real reality. And when we say, as it, let your will be done, as it is in heaven on earth, that's what we're asking for. Okay? We are asking for a, an invasion of heaven to come into our lives, change our whole dynamic and value system. We don't use people to get stuff. We give away stuff to love people. Amen? I just spit. So now I'm officially a really on-fire preacher. That's my reality. <laughs> okay. 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 I've got a whole bunch more to go, and it's noon already. Lord Jesus, just remember, we had a really good prayer time. Okay, so I want to talk about perfection versus unconditional love. Same kind of thing. Perfection demands things of us. But the Bible says, love is patient, love is kind, it does not envy, it does not boast, it is not proud, it does not dishonor others, it is not self-seeking, it is not easily angered, it keeps no record of wrong, love does not delight in evil but rejoices with the truth, it protects, it trusts, it hopes, and it perseveres. That's what God is trying to get into our, that's 1 Corinthians 13, 4, that's, that's the reality that he wants us to live. Now, that's not easy. Sometimes that takes a whole life. But isn't that a wonderful aim? That's grabbing kittens instead of pearls right there. That's what that is. He said, love never fails, but where there are prophecies, they will cease. Where there are tongues, they will be stilled. Where there is knowledge, it will pass away. For we know in part and as we prophesy in part. But when completeness comes, what is in part disappears. Do you see what he's saying? He said, oh, here he says, if I speak in the tongues of men and angels, but do not have love, I am only a resounding gong or clanging simple. You're an irritant. If we can do all these religious activities, we can have tongues and we can prophesy till the cows come home, but if we don't have love, that's another reality. It's like we're demanding this perfect spiritual behavior out of each other, and yet what God is demanding is unconditional love. He wants love to grow. So many people bypass love and think, oh yeah, I got that. I, I read about that. So I got it. I got love. But I want to prophesy. I want to see dreams and visions. I want to do all these crazy things for God. Love, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, we, yeah. But when a person has mastered love, they are literally heaven on earth. When somebody has mastered how to love people and to care for people and accept people unconditionally, that's the goal. That's the real treasure. That's the real aim of a believer. That's power. You want power? Love. Love does miracles. So when, when, when somebody loves unconditionally, you can be yourself around them. You can just be yourself. Have you ever met somebody and you're trying, you just, you maybe not right away, but pretty soon you figure out, hey, this person's going to love me. They're going to love me on my bad days. They're going to love me when other people won't. They're not going to demand perfection. If I have a bad day, I'm in a bad mood, they're going to be like, oh, God, help them. That's what we're supposed to do. Amen? That's the goal. That's what we're reaching for. That's heaven on earth. When you meet someone that can love unconditionally and accept you as you are and fight for you when you're down, that's heaven on earth. You have a person that has heaven in their heart and they're being transformed by heaven. That's what I want to be. I'm tired of wasting games on stuff. I want to love. 
But that's not easy. You get hurt. But when you get hurt and you really learn how to love, more and more and more, you learn how to love. You need, you learn how to, to not defend yourself, but to just say, I love you. You know, when we were youth pastors years ago, we were really young. There was this woman who'd come, and she didn't think we were giving her kids enough attention. And I was sitting there, and I was trying to tell her, you know, I was explain things to her. Like, it wasn't the way she was seeing it. And finally, the Holy Spirit talked to me, and he said, just tell her you love her. So I just said, hey, I really love you. And she stopped talking and started crying. And that was the end of that. Battle over, pinned down, one gold medal for God. Amen? <laughs> okay, so they get you, they understand you, they fight for you. They don't want to try to control you or, or fix you, put them, you know, you know how people like to, you need to be like this. So perfection does that. If, I don't know if you've ever had anyone in your life that's really been pretty good at this. I've had some people, and it, it, it makes you feel like you want to hide the real you. You're like, oh, I have to be poly perfect right now because I don't want to get shot in the head. <laughs> you know? You're just like, I can't, they will never know who I am. Because I'm never letting this person out of the box when I'm around them. They're so perfect. They're never going to know the real you because you can't be yourself around them. They're never going to know you. They make you feel ashamed, you know, of stupid things like maybe you're too country, they're from the city. You're too country. I'm a little too country. I almost wanted to sing a Donny Osmond and Marie Osmond song, but I'm not going to do it. Okay. Or maybe I'm a woman. And we all know women can't preach. You know, for whatever reason, you're not their ideal. You know, I have so many times on Facebook, you know, post something, and, and somebody gets hit wrong with it. You know, you, you could mean it with the most loving way. You just think, oh, this is a really neat thing or whatever. And all of a sudden they come down and they're like, you have grieved me. I am grieved. And I'm just like, oh, Lord, here we go again. You know, but what it does is it shuts you down. Because you don't want to post again. And you might go days before you post again because who knows who's going to jump on that. It shuts you down. That's what it's meant to do. It's meant to control us and keep us shut up and quiet so we're not speaking the truth. So perfection is really not a good thing. It, it zaps all the fun out of life. It's never amused. It's always disappointed and always disapproves. Have you ever had somebody just like... That's supposed to be a lesson to you. You have disappointed them and they're telling you, that's all I got, guys. Seriously, that, I've had people do that. I had somebody in my family that would do that. Whenever I said something that they didn't like, they were like, pursed lips, you know? Bless them, Lord! <laughs> Give them heaven. Give them heaven's reality. But what it's, again, what it's meant to do is it's meant to shut you down, make you feel ashamed. And it's like, did I sin and I didn't realize it? What did I say? And then you're doing all these mind games with yourself. Like, what did I do? What did I say? Did I say something? Oh my gosh, what did I do? You know, did I act like a, a weirdo in the pulpit when I was reading? <laughs> so, so we have an example of heaven's love through the Father's love for us. And there is absolutely nothing that we can do that can make Him stop loving us. There's no sin on earth that can make our Father stop loving us. He hates sin because He loves us so much. And he hates what sin does to us. He fights with you 
to get the sin out because he knows it's hurting you. He doesn't hate people who sin. He loves people who sin. If he didn't love people who sin, none of us would be saved. For God so loved the world that he uh, what do you, what? <laughs> gave his only son that whosoever would believe on him would be saved. He came not to judge the world, but to save it. And our sin doesn't, it keeps us from God, but he doesn't hate our sin. He wants to get that sin out of there so he can have us. Because we are what he's going after. We are his prize. So in the world that we cannot see, God takes the ordinary and makes it extraordinary. In Acts 4.13, he said, Now, when they saw the boldness of Peter and John and perceived that they were uneducated, common men, that were, they were astonished. And they recognized that they had been with Jesus. He took 12 uncommon, uncommonly ordinary, uncommonly ordinary men. They were fishermen, they were zealots, they were tax collectors who were very dishonest tax collectors. These aren't even reputable tax collectors. But when extraordinary God meets ordinary Joes, you get extraordinary human beings. You get heaven invading earth. Before, when they got religion, they were mean, harsh, and judgmental. They wanted to bring down fire on people who didn't accept Jesus. After they spent time with Jesus, they became warm, loving, and merciful, even dying, so that others could know him. This is an extraordinary God meeting ordinary us and making something heavenly out of it. So hell says, I don't care that you love me. I expect you to be perfect. I can't accept you unless you're perfect. It doesn't matter if you love me. I want perfection. That sounds like just the opposite of heaven, doesn't it? That's what hell says. Heaven says, I don't care if you're perfect. I just want to love you. I just want to love you. I want to love you like nobody on earth has loved you. I got to tell you, when I had that vision about, you know, the, the fish and the kitten and the car and all that stuff, I, I, I came back and I'm like, what was that? And I could just feel this tangible acceptance all around me. Just tangible, tangible acceptance all around me. And I was aware of just how much everyday rejection we face on earth. All of us. I was, I was seeing the comparison of what heaven offers to what, the, what we have to deal with on the earth and the rejection that we live with every day. And yet this acceptance... It's just, it felt like I was so free. My mind was free. My heart was free. Everything. And I hollered to my family. I said, you guys, come here. Come here. I'm just like screaming, come here. Come, come, come. And I, I just wanted to tell them before, you know, it faded. <laughs> they all came in. They jumped on the bed. And, and I started telling them everything I told them. And I said, the acceptance that I felt. And, and the kids, I think they were... I think the younger two were teens and Cass was maybe early 20s. And, and they were like, we can feel it, Mom. We can feel it. We can feel that acceptance of heaven. We can feel it. It's tangible. They can feel it. And, you know, I, I, I typed that up. I sent it out as a word. And I had people, I told them about my kids feeling it. You know, people wrote me back and they said, we can feel it as we read it. We can feel it. It's on, it's on my website if you want to go read it. In 1 Samuel 17, the Lord does not see things the way we see them. 
People judge by outward appearance, but the Lord looks after the heart. With God, it's from the inside out, not the outside in. We think people, we give people a Bible and they come to church and it's all good. Maybe it's not all good. But God goes to the inside of our hearts. He transforms us from the inside out. He heals the broken things. The Bible said He restores our soul. No matter what we do, whatever pit we're in, He restores it. It doesn't matter if we jumped up and yelled and said, Devil, come attack me right now. He still restores us. He's that kind of God. Because we're His kids. And wouldn't you do that for your kid? No matter what trouble they got into. So man looks at the outside. God looks at the inside. Heaven celebrates us. Hell tolerates us. You know, we've heard a lot in our culture about the tolerant. I don't think I'd really like it if I were just tolerated. If somebody tolerated me, I'll go find somebody else that liked me better. You know, and I'm not saying be mean. It's stupid to be mean to any living soul on earth. But I'm not going to lie and say, you're doing good. Lying isn't nice. You want to lie to them and say, yeah, you got it. You're going to heaven. Bye-bye. That's not nice. Because you don't really care about their eternal destination. That's right. So if you say to them, I love you. God made you. Like if they're a man and they're trying to be a woman. God made you a man. And he loves you as a man. And the enemy's been lying to you. And he's been robbing you. And you have no peace. You're not living in the peace that God wants you to live in. And it's a lie to say, oh, I tolerate you, because we don't really, nobody wants to be tolerated. So forever, we're going to have to, like, you're, you're going to basically, if you want to please them, you're going to end up celebrating them. There's really no end to that. But what there is an end to is heaven accepting them, their core, who they are, their, their soul, God speaking into them His life, His words of life, and those heaven-sent words transforming them from the inside out. And whatever caused difficulties in their life before start to just change and fall off because they suddenly have the power of heaven living inside them. God told them something. The Word of God is living, breathing, and alive and transforms us. Not just the Bible, but the words that He speaks to us personally. And I've, I've I've, I've had several friends that were gay, not one of them told me they were happy they were gay. So I told them about Jesus, the God that can bring peace to your soul and set things right in your heart and mind. I had one guy named David. Years ago, we were just got married. I don't know if we had kids. Maybe we had Cassie. This guy David, he was the best man in his brother's wedding. He came and I said to Steve, I said, Is David gay? You know, you just sort of get the sense. And they all said, no, 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 he's a Christian. And I said, okay, okay, sorry. <laughs> anyway, later on that night, they all went. They, now, they're a Christian family, so they didn't go out and party and drink and all. They ate Mexican. Well, he was given, Steve was giving David a ride home that night. Well, in the car that night, David decided, he said, God, I'm going to try one more time to find you. I'm going to talk to this guy here. And if he turns me away, I will never reach out to you again. And so he turns to Steve and he says, Steve, I'm homosexual. And I've been trying to find, trying to find God. And he saw a human being 
desperate for God and he loved him and led him to Christ. And over the next few years they formed a, a friendship and they would call, he would call and they would pray together and Steve would tell him, he'd listen to his troubles. He had a mom who was a witch and she had cursed him and all these terrible things in his life and he said, I hate this life, I hate this life I want it, I've tried so hard, I can't get out and we're just young kids and we didn't really know what to do but, but we, we found, or somebody found, I don't remember now, somebody found a ministry that knew deliverance. So they sent him to be delivered. And he, he, well, first of all, there was a night where he had tried to kill himself. He took a bunch of pills and some alcohol and he just went nuts. No, he wasn't coherent. His actions weren't right. And the cops found, somebody called the cops. They didn't realize that he was dying. So they took him and they put him in jail cell. I thought he could sleep it off. They put him in the jail cell. Now, his reality was a man fighting for his soul. Because he would go and he could feel himself going into hell. Now, I had said two things to him. It was mainly Steve. But I had said two things to him. And I said, because I had, had a dream about this happening. And I said, if this happens, I want you to say, I belong to Jesus. Satan, you can't have me. That's all I told him to say. So, and he didn't like it that I said that at the time. But in this moment, he's like literally dying. And he feels demons grabbing him and trying to pull him down. So all he can remember are those words that I said. I belong to Jesus, devil. You can't have me. And he kept trying to climb out and climb out. And then finally, and the, and the cops are like, shut up, shut up. You know, just thinking he's just drunk and freaking out. Here he's dying. And he finally, he finally comes to and he finally gets some kind of hold on Jesus. And, he, and, the, and they stop trying to drag him to hell. And he, he eventually wakes up. And, so, and he calls Steve and he tells him what happened. And he, he, in the throes of dying, wanting to kill himself, gave his heart to God yeah. to save now. That's like a seriously dramatic finish. <laughs> but he went to his church that understood him, that got him, that loved him unconditionally, delivered him, pour, poured themselves into him. And you know what? All this time he had had AIDS and didn't know it. And he was dying. An eternal death in hell. And at that point, he... he he had to have God but he didn't know why and he got born again he got in love with God like nobody and now David is with Jesus Christ and he's looking down on us saying you tell them my story Victoria because there's nobody out the, out of the reach of heaven there's nobody I've heard of so many stories where people are like on their way to hell and suddenly they cry out to God because somebody's grandma told them to <sighs> Somebody's grandma's believing for the, the, their little Johnny, little Susie. And so at the last minute, they're like, I remember something grandma said to me. This is real reality. Life and death reality. This is what we are truly living about. It's not about the car you drive. It's not about your bank account. What it's really about is life and death. And we are the treasure that he can't live without. They are the treasure that he can't live without. So when we act like heaven, Jesus says when you give a cup of cold water in my name, 
you will reap a rich reward. A cup of cold water. That's not much. We wouldn't really think we're doing well. Like, I have a ministry. I'm given cups of water. That's my ministry. I'm going to get cards printed up. I'm going to have a website. I'm a water cup giver away. Er. Send your offerings to me. <laughs> Sorry. Anybody that's filled with heaven to a little bit of degree, and you say something to somebody, an encouragement when they're going through hell, an encouragement when they feel like they just hate themselves, when they just say, hey, I'm going to tell you another story. So you can't run away, but I'll make it really fast. I was, I was having this conference, and we had finished the whole conference, a couple days of just preaching and whatever. And I'm at the very end of this conference. We had done the altar calls. Everybody was gone. They were all sitting down, and the Holy Spirit says, don't close the service. And I was pretty young, so I just sat there, and I said, well, Holy Spirit said I can't close the service, so I'm just going to sing a song. And I just said, I'm just going to sing Jesus Loves Me. And suddenly, from the back of the church... This woman comes barreling down, and I hear her say, Okay! Okay! <laughs> she comes storming down, and I literally thought I was going to die. <laughs> I thought, okay, this is it. I'm going to meet Jesus. She's going to kill me. Because <laughs> she was just like intense. She was intense. And she, I was standing like right here, and she probably got, I don't know, like in between you guys right there. She probably got to that point, and she collapsed under the power of God. She collapsed under the power of God. And so we go, we, 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 we hold her, we, we lay her down, and I'm praying over her, I'm, I'm praying over her, and then all of a sudden, she started to manifest a demonic spirit. And she's like, shake she's in my lap, and she's manifesting this demon. And I'm like, somebody should do something for her. <laughs> and I say, oh wait, wait. This, I'm the person. I'm the person that has to do something for it. And then just like that, so, so I just got mad. Like the Holy Ghost, God kind of mad. That the, the devil would think that he could touch a soul that God created. And I got this anger through me. And suddenly I said, you leave her alone. And this big voice, it's not my own. You leave her alone. That's, that's a, deliverance 101. Leave, leave them alone. I just say, leave them alone. And suddenly, everything left. And she got peaceful. And she was still out cold, but she was totally peaceful. And she stayed that way for a very long time. And all these beautiful women surrounded her and prayed. They all knew her story. I didn't know her story. They were praying for her, praying so beautifully and crying. And, and a year later, I came to the same church, and this woman comes up to me. I'm sitting in a chair, and she falls at my knees. And she starts crying and weeping and just saying, Thank you, Victoria, thank you. And I don't know who she is, because I don't recognize her. But it's that woman that had the demon. She is completely transformed. Yeah. I do not recognize her. And she finally has to tell me, I'm the woman you cast the demon out of. And I'm like, oh, you're precious. You're so precious. And her family have come up to me. Her life is completely, totally, totally changed. And, okay, now I really am going to end this service. <laughs> this is, you don't have to pay me extra. <laughs> Free beyond me, okay? <laughs> so we got to keep our mind on heaven. Let heaven transform us. Wonderful things happens when we do. When we don't react to the things in the world like the world wants us to react. But when we react out of the love of God in our heart, and we just tell them the truth, say, I love you. 
We are doing the work of heaven. We are invading this earth. And I could go, I could tell you all kinds of back history and biblical, all kinds of things. So let's just let's keep it real. We are his secret weapon. It's us. We are the most powerful force on earth, and we're the only thing that can stop the enemy's agenda. I'm not going to waste one more day. So I want everybody to stand up and, 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 and repeat after me. Father God, I choose you. I choose not to waste one more moment on earth without living for my heavenly home. I ask you, Father, to transform me from the inside out. Bless my life Bless my life. And make it a blessing. And make it a blessing. So all men, so all men might see you, might see you through, me. through me. In Jesus' name. In Jesus name. Amen.